I'm Reggie. This is Brian. This is R&B Talks. What's up, Brian? What's up, man? What's up? What's up? Yo. Yeah. Very excited today. I know you are. You I'm wound excitable. Up. I am very wound up. <laughs> as you, as Reggie has found out since I arrived, <laughs> wound I'm up. super wound up. Like, this is going to be a great episode. I just and feel it, it. You know, it's what is funny is it's completely opposite than the day. Like, the day is like this overcast, like, murky kind of day. Yep. And then here comes Brian pulling up. Woo! <laughs> Let's go! <laughs> Let's do an episode! But, uh, so how was your week, Reg? You know, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. I mean, it, it's, this is, I'm going to have a trying time at work for a while until I feel like it's on the right track. It, but that kind of stuff just takes a long time. Well, yeah. Especially if you're doing like personnel changes <sighs> and things like that. There's always this, there's always this just dystopian, just jacked up feeling when you change personnel and you ain't change anybody yet. Yeah. But you, you know, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like processes and procedures start to change and everything just feels, I used to tell people all the time, it feels like you're five degrees off all the time. Like you're not like completely tilted out of, you're not just out of whack completely, but you always feel like you're like five degrees off what you should be. Right. Well, here's, and I, th- I tell you what it is for me because, because I'm so different than the corporate norm, right? Bald guy, bearded. You know, um, is very bluntly honest and transparent and will tell anybody, including our CEO, what the hell's going on without hesitation. I, I've got where I am because of how successful I've been at things, right? Mm-hmm. So I've, I have this proven track record of like yep. being just the, the go to guy that makes things happen and all this kind of stuff. So when I'm not, <laughs> it puts me in like this weird, you know, like, am, am I really the, am I really being the ha- top dog here? Yeah. Am I really like, you know, because part of, part of what I, what I tell my team too is like part of, well, and this would apply to anything, but in, in our world of IT, like high level consultancy, it's like you get where you're, where you are and you stay where you are and you, you remain that go to guy because of skill sets and, uh, success rate of what you do. Really, at the end of the day, if you bring in money, revenue for the company, if you make it happen, you're not going anywhere. You know, they're mm-hmm. not going to do that because it affects their bottom line. Yeah. But if you sit back and you don't like try to innovate or try to do things more productively or be more efficient, they have no, they have no problem. No matter if you've been in the company for 40 years, you, dude, if there comes a, time when they need to let people go you're gonna go you're gonna go this this is that simple you know and and they could they'll preach all the companies will preach about how they like protect their employees and this is a great place to retire from and all that stuff but it's really a load of shit it's not absolutely is not dude i mean all the companies are for is to generate profit and to grow their portfolio for their board and their investors so just that's just my (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this must be but so anyway but yeah it's been good we have the uh, lanesville heritage festival going on right now which yeah. is my uh which is one of the biggest things and probably in this part of the indiana i think because you're you know it's it man the food mm-hmm. the, the i love all the old tractors and they got some steam engines and stuff there so it's really cool but yeah so that's all going on and i think uh it's just a, just a lot and so 
you know, trying to dig into something this week was a little challenging. Yeah. I'm also got like vacation coming up where we're going actually out of town for a change. So I'm like trying to do more homework than usual. Yeah. And then of course our subject matter of today was a little challenging to research, I would say, and I will get into that in a minute, but um yeah, man. What what was what was Brian's week like? You know, I work directly with people. Um as a trainer, I work um one on one with a lot of people. And this week was a challenging week in the sense of there are highs and lows when you're trying to help somebody find a good balance with health and fitness, right? So, sure. you know, and I tend to ride the highs and lows with my clients in the sense of, hey, you know, I, I tend to absorb a lot of their stress, a lot of their worry, because I want them to be successful. One of the unique things for me is I've never really worried about the 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 financial end of it in the sense of if the if I create the results then that will all come in behind it right um but moreover I love to see someone be successful at trying to take care of themselves right because mm-hmm. we don't do that enough now right and this has been one of those weeks where there's been some plateaus and there's been some some some, some setbacks and um I tend to carry that burden with them. So it's just been kind of one of those weeks where I've had to be on a pivot a lot and and take a lot of phone calls and, and talk with people and really kind of dig down to the root of some issues that we're trying to find solutions for. And, um, you know, I went out to see my son who is in the band play last night and um, I found myself very distracted in making sure that I was as available for my clients as I could be. Right. Yeah. Because like you, I'm very transparent. They know pretty much everything about me. Um, and I just want them to know more than anything that I'm invested in their success as much as they are. Uh, and so it's, it's been a, a, not a physically exhausting week. It's hard for me to have a physically exhausting week, but it's been a very mentally taxing week. And on top of that, in researching, I had the exact opposite problem you had. I started researching and I had to turn it off for a while because I found everything and I was stunned and, and I was, I had every emotion as I was researching. I had joy, (laughs) anger, sadness, disbelief at, at turning over the leaves of the things that I was looking at and what I was finding underneath. I, you mounted that on top of the week. And by last night I was <laughs> scorched, man. Like when I went to bed last night, it was coma. Well, you know, I, so when I used to do the bodybuilding powerlifting stuff, right. I, yeah. I mean, you know, it was plateaus were inevitable because your body reaches a point where it has to like say, okay, I, I, I really need to muscle growth has to like, stay stagnant we gotta like stay here for a minute it's recovery becomes the important thing yeah your your biology says okay we're not gonna do we're not gonna let it grow or do get stronger or anything for a little while we're, we're staying here yeah. and you, there's nothing you can do about that yeah. except keep pushing yeah eventually by your effort mm-hmm. you will push through that plateau but yeah. you have to that's the time when your effort is critical yeah because it because it's the time when you have to defeat your nervous system. Yes. Right. You, like you are telling it's like mind over body. You're saying, yeah. I don't care. 
you yeah. will get stronger. You will get bigger, whatever the case may be. That's right? right. I remember when I was doing, um, I had a real problem with bench press. Like I have such long arms. Right. So you'd think that, you know, barrel chested me got this way. It was easy. That was actually really difficult because of the length of my arms. Yeah. You know, if you watch the real like uh, world record p- power lifter guys who do bench press, dude, it looks like they got like tight. They short they're short arms for a reason because yeah. that's just a, a nature of how the, you know, can uh Kinetics, kinesiology. I call it it human T-Rex syndrome. Yeah. But I mean, it is though. And you know, it's, but so for me, it was like really tough. And I had to like, I had to switch from barbell bench press and I went straight to just dumbbells. Yeah. Okay. And so, and I used um, Arnold's technique where he pulls it up and then he twists it at the end. Yep. So that you, you get both the contractions of your pectorals, right? Mm -hmm. And, and before too long, just because I did that difference, I I went from like, you know, I think I ended up with like a hundred and I had a hundred and five pound dumbbells, yeah, bench pressing like that as a workout, right? And then the next time I went to that bar and I picked yeah. it up, it was like I think it was three twenty five. It was just like, Psh. yeah, oh shit, that was <laughs> hey, it was di- it was it was totally different because I I put I just been focusing. I was like intense, and I got you know another thing that people don't. It cracks me up if you go to gyms and they just like, they just go there because they're going there. It's like the ones, if you're, when, if you want to be successful working out, you have to, as soon as you walk into that gym, there's a, you have to flip a switch that says, I am going to be a beast. You have to go into beast mode. Exactly right. And you have to just push. Yeah. You have to, I mean, your timing about your reps, your sets, everything has to be exact. Your rest has to be right. Your, your yes. between set rest, everything. If you go too long, you've yeah. lost your effect. If you go too short, you've lost the effect. You yeah. have to make sure all this is diligent, right? So what I, when I, I didn't do well in like a normal, I get, I don't know, normal gym, like you, um, I don't even know. Uh, what's that one that has the hunk alarm or whatever um uh planet fitness yeah like if i, I could i could never function in planet fitness because yeah. it's like they're kind of anti that really but what i did yeah. excel at was like there was a south side barbell club over in louisville that was just filled with power lifters and stuff yeah that's all that really went there yeah and when you went in there everybody kind of had that attitude well that's part of it right the community you're in like the best advice I ever got, the thing that got me past anything was I was working with an old school powerlifter and you, I asked him, I said, what's the secret to getting stronger? And he goes, except that lifting heavy things hurts. He said, it is never going to be comfortable or easy to get stronger. You have to lift heavy stuff and it's going to hurt. Oh yeah, dude. I remember squats, like <laughs> leg day. It'd be like, you'd be like. And you, I know it. I'd be like, oh, man, this, is, this sucks. And you'd show up to the gym. You'd be like, and you know, you give it the bird and you just freaking go at yeah. it. You, you are not, it's, it's really a, you really have to use your mental capacity to say, you are not going to win today. Yeah. <laughs> and you yeah. just have to freaking do it. And you're, and that's what the grunting and everything is. I don't think people understand that if you're really trying, you're, you are telling your body to do something it does not want to do. Well, yeah, it's, 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 it's hypertrophy, man. It's, it's forcing your body to change. Like it's, you know, like me now, like I, I, I lift, I just enjoy lifting heavy. Like I don't like lifting lightweights. Like it doesn't, 
I get no satisfaction from it, right? So for me, it's I'm either going in and I'm loading as much on the bar as I can, as as heavy of dumbbells as I can grab. And I'm not the strongest guy in the world. I don't claim to be. But for me, for me to be satisfied at the end of a workout, man, I've got to just pummel myself. Yeah. And then I feel that sense of accomplishment, right? That, oh, man, I did, that was great. But if I went in and grabbed five-pound dumbbells and just started, I'd be like, "This, I'm not doing this. I'm going home. <laughs> well, I kind of feel like that when we are trying to counter the effects of certain movements towards a nuclear family. Wow. That might be the greatest segue of all time. Uh, way to throw. That was a hot curveball, man. Way to go. I guess now we can talk about what today's episode's about, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the nuclear family. Uh, okay, before we do that, I, I do have a I do have a story. Okay. Tell me your and story. It is funny. I love okay? stories. And I love funny stories, so let's go. So we have a we have a minivan and I have a, a Jeep Grand Cherokee. The Jeep Grand Cherokee's newer and it's everything else. But the, the van's kinda like one of those where it's gonna break down every once in a while. You gotta, you know. But we don't really use both vehicles a lot. Mm-hmm. So the van kind of sits for a minute. Anyway, so my wife, she couldn't start the van one time, and then it was like, okay. So we had looked at needed a starter, so we put a starter in, and okay. And then so we get the starter in. Now it's fine. Um, it it has a security thing in it because it was an Uber driver ahead before us, and, they, and it's like this security thing. We have to put this key thing down here, and it has to beep, and then you can start it. So we finally figured it, it, it resets after every daggone time you <laughs> the battery goes dead or whatever. So <laughs> anyway, so we finally get it and we're, we're like going to go to leave uh, and we needed to take both cars because one go one way and it wouldn't start. Okay. And then so the next day we I charge up the battery and, and all this kind of stuff and she goes out and we're like, and we're trying to leave again. There's two cars. We're kind of trying to leave to go somewhere. <laughs> and she's like, honey, I. I cannot drive the, the van like this. I cannot even reach the pedals where the seat is. Can I cannot get the daggone seat to come up. And I'm like, okay, so I get out of the Jeep and I go over there and I'm like, I'm thinking, well, what is she trying to do here? So I'm like looking around thinking, did she not find the lever? Because if it's manual or whatever or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, and, and then I'm like, I don't think this is a manual seat. It has like power seats on it. I don't understand. Yeah. So I reach up there and I hit the power thing on the door and I push the seat up and it's like moving forward. I'm like, what did you not? She goes, I, I forgot it had the power seat thing on the door. <laughs> <laughs> Spent like all this time. She was all mad. And I'm like, I, I didn't know what to say. It was like, it's, it's right there on the door. It, 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 <laughs> it's right there on the door. It's over there. It's, it's, it's right there. It's your van, right? She goes, I haven't been in it in a while. <laughs> like, oh my, I didn't have anything. Like I was like, I am really not lost for words very often. Yeah. I was at that point. I just didn't know what to say to that. You know, <laughs> I find those moments are the best ones where you go. All right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, All right. Sweet. I'm leaving. Uh, yeah. Can, can we go now? <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was just. What? Uh, mm, uh, okay. It was just yeah. yeah. It was just funny. It was good. So Brian, um, as you know, yes, sir. Nuclear families are defined in a lot of different ways now. They are. So when we refer to a nuclear family. What are you referring to? I am referring to a biological male and a biological female who have been married 
remain married and have begun a family, whether that be one child, two child, or 12 children, and they choose to remain married and raise their family and prosper as a unit. That's what I mean by biological family or by a nuclear family. When I said I had difficulty researching this, the re, the, this is the reason why. And you'll latch on to this too, but um, since the 60s and the uh-huh. 50s and everything else, really nuclear family was not a term that was coined until later. Yeah. But what has happened though is that's been continually trying to re, be redefined. Yes. So what what I was having difficulty with was newer studies and statistics about a man, woman, children, married, nuclear family, mm-hmm. because the definition of those is not that anymore. Yes. When it comes to psychology and sociology and the studies that are behind that. So that's what I mean when it was really difficult to like thread through what I, cause I was really trying to nail down this. I wanted particularly to be uh, what, what's the numbers behind a husband, wife, married that has kids. Mm-hmm. And when you looked at things recently, it did, they, they loped all kinds of stuff into that. Well, yeah, well. they, I mean, recent, the, the recent definitions of a nuclear family is, and I, and they and if you look they they whitewash it with a phrase that I find troublesome and that's they like to use the phrase two parent home. Now, when you dig further down into that phrase, that means gay couple, lesbian couple, whatever couple, whatever couple, like two two adults in the home. Um, but I I think that. That's why you that I mean, I struggle with that a little bit that first night, because if you go and you type in uh, history of the nuclear family, just like a lot of other subjects that you and I have researched, you get a ton of what I would call current ambient definitions because they change, right? They're never, you know, um, you know, now because you and I come from a faith faith basis on a lot of the ways we think, well, all the ways we think we have the, a pretty definite definition of what the nuclear family is. But like in our current society, that definition changes weekly. Well, let me say this though. The reason why I was looking for this is because I, 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 I have faith, but I verify. Yeah. Okay. Well, you and I study, right? Yeah, well, it's like every, it's not like I just go and go, okay, the Bible says this, therefore it must be true. And I, and I say that, but then I'm like, does that get verified in react, like in the world we live in? Do we see a marketable difference in conditions or development or something when we're talking about a male and a female family versus a, uh, and it's not, and I'm not, I'm not saying anything that I'm like anti a gay or lesbian or whatever. I'm just trying to look for if there's, if there's been documented statistical differences between yeah. those two, right? Yeah. It's not, not for anything to say right or wrong. I just want to see if there's actually developmental differences. Well, okay? yeah. You want to see if you want to see, you know, actual, you know, producible data, right? Like there's one of the things that I try to stay far away from 
and and I'm not I'm not not guilty of it. I've been guilty of it at times. I'm sure you have at times. Is letting my feelings override my brain. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and and as I've grown older and and gotten more in depth with my family, I want data. I want proof. Feelings don't really matter to me anymore. Um, and it's not to be mean. Feelings are a valid thing. I think we talked about that just kind of momentarily in one of our other episodes is feelings are valid, right? I mean, the way you feel has validity, but that validity is drawn based on the actual events that cause that feeling, right? It's not this, we just suddenly feel a certain way and therefore it's valid. Usually when you have a feeling about something or you develop feelings about something, there have been a, there's been a pathway to you feeling that way, right? Um, and one of the things that I, when we, when you asked me what I thought would be a good episode and I told you the nuclear family, the reason that this is very important to me is because of my background. I did not have a nuclear family. You know, my mom and dad divorced when I was three or four years old. My was raised mostly by my grandparents, which God bless both of them. They didn't exactly put on the definition of a good marriage, but I grew up in the non-nuclear tradition, right? I was, I wasn't, I had neither parent really super involved. <clears throat> my grandparents were more my custodial, yeah. right? So for me, I wanted data because I, I know how I feel internally about that, but I don't, I didn't know for sure that other people felt internally the same way. Right. And, and I have, I know people who are same sex parents. I do. And I don't have any, ill will for them you know I, but like you said i want i want to know you know why is the nuclear family under attack why is what are the factors what are the, the statistics and that's why as you see you can see i prepared well and pulled statistical documentation along with you know yeah. historical documentation so to help here too i did not have a nuclear family as well yeah. you know when i was five years old my mom and dad got divorced i lived with my mom but thankfully, my dad was around, so I always had the male influence. Yeah, and I'll, I'll I'll talk about that in a second. But but my mom's three sisters n never had families of their own, mm -hmm. so I grew up with like four moms. You know Dang. that was yeah, <laughs> and and we were, I guess, genetically just tuned to be like barbarians. You know, so. Thank God we had four women that were influencing our lives. Otherwise, I think I would already be like in prison or something. I'd be like the new Attila the Hun or something, right? I mean, because that tamed us down. And I that <laughs> that's before, you know, that's saying something. You know what I mean? Because yeah. like I'm already ramped up. Well, and then I had girls and that really changed everything. But what, point being, though, is like, you know, we, we had that. Me and my two brothers had that influence of like four women that grew that helped us grow up um but we did have to influence our dad but it, it, it was different because there was a lot of we we weren't because my mom had to work a lot and because there was very you know we weren't supervised like yeah. a lot of times yeah you know we did a lot of dumb stuff so you were barbarians <laughs> rebels bro <laughs> usurpers you know it was like man we were we were gonna tear it up you know, so growing up, like, and, and look, we had a good upbringing, upbringing. That's not, um, but it was poor. We, we didn't have a lot of, 
you know, there wasn't like a lot of money. It, the only reason why we had everything we needed to have is because there was four moms in the picture that could share that load. Yeah. I'll talk about that in a minute too, because that is part of what, uh, one of the things I was reading, but, um, what, what got me onto the, besides just a biblical point of view of here's how a family is supposed to be, but also there's, and I, I didn't, man, I didn't have time to like dig into like more, but there's psychological analysis that said, you know, ha- talks about the, the mother's influence into a child, the, the father's influence of the child, that male and female dichotomy is really important for the growth of both a male and female child. Yep. But that a father's influence is even the, the greatest of those because if the data shows if a father's not around, it's like horrendous for statistically for a family. And if it's just the father, it's actually even better than if it's a single mom. So, I mean, like there's like all these statistics about that. So I I just wanted to know, like, okay, so taking that into consideration, if, if, if psychology and, you know, sociology kind of stuff says that there's this difference in a male and a female influence in a child's life, what, what, then how does that get portrayed in, in reality of where we are in today's culture? And you just, you don't get that data from the family statistics anymore because they've roped all that into the same thing. And part of what you're going to talk about is there's a reason for that is because there's a, a continuing attack on lessening and like just tearing down the importance of the traditional nuclear family. Yeah. Yes. That was, I think the most disturbing thing for me was there is a, you know, at times underlying at times, boldly, boldly present effort to destroy the nuclear family and to, to take away what is just a, just a statistically for the sake of kids, one of the most important things that exists. All right. So let's dig into this a little bit. Okay. Let's go. What, where did you start with? Well, and when, let's go, let's go with where, where are you looking at from the attack? And like, you know, what's your, what did you find as far as data goes to back up what you're talking about? Well, I looked at tons of reports, right? Tons of actual data driven reports that were done by, you know, as far from our, our federal government, but the most interesting report I ran into was from the Heritage Foundation, which is basically a non, it's a, it's, it's an, it's not liberal. It's not conservative. It's just a down the middle statistical, you. you know, basis. And, you know, I mean, just some of the stuff that came up and, and just to read a little bit, a review of the empirical evidence in the professional literature of the social sciences gives policymakers an insight into the root causes of crime, for instance. Over the past 30 years, the rise in violent crime parallels the rise in families abandoned by fathers. So fatherless homes, right? Crime, crime Which we has talked risen. about in the fatherhood yeah, episode. Absolutely. High crime neighborhoods are characterized by high concentrations of families with aban- that have been abandoned by fathers, and in some cases, mothers. State-by-state analysis by the heritage scholars indicates that 10% increases in the percentage of children living in single-parent homes leads to typically a 70% increase in juvenile crime. So there's an obvious correlation between deviant behavior, criminality, drug use, all those things, and 
not having a mother and father present, right? Okay. Yep, yep. The rate of violent teenage crime corresponds with the numbers of families abandoned by fathers. Now think about that. I mean, you're essentially tit for tat. Father's gone, violent crime incurs, right? And then aggression and hostility demonstrated by future criminals often is foreshadowed by aggressiveness at the age of five or six in fatherless homes. So there's early signs when the, when the father's gone, right? And, and this is also a good percentage of this is in where the mother has left the household as well. You know, the future criminal tends to be an individual rejected by other children as early as the first grade who goes on to form his own group of friends. Often the future delinquent gang that he commits crimes with due to the, due to a lack of strong male influence in the home, right? Um, now here's the one that really got me. Okay. So. You know, a lot of people say the reason that fatherless homes have high crime is because of income issues. You know, that has actually been disproven. Um, so take this statistic is this, and this comes straight from the Heritage Foundation's report, right? They did a re- in affluent homes that the nuclear family was broken. Mother or father were gone. 90% of those homes had children that were participating in deviant behaviors, excessive drug use, uh, violence, whatever you want to call it, early sexual activity, all those things. So only 10% of the kids in broken homes did not participate, right? So here's the thing. In non-affluent homes, in low-income housing, that statistic is exactly the same. So... 90% of low-income homes where the nuclear family is intact, these problems don't exist. So it's not about money, right? It's not about, it's not about money. It's not about affluency. It's about the impact of the influences in the home and the, and what is presented as a, a family unit, right? When the mother and the father are present, there's heightened awareness when behaviors become, you know, abnormal. When you lack one of those oversights, those things are more likely to escape you because it's harder for you to keep track of all those things, right? Just on a regular basis. So, you know, the Heritage Foundation, and and I and I encourage, and I'll I'll give this to you so you can post it because it's 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 literally reading this was literally one of the most eye opening documents that I've read in a long time. But then I tracked it through <laughs> a second document. Um, and and I'm probably going to be an unpopular guy for what I'm about to say, and that's okay. I don't really care. Um, there is an underlying attack that started in the early 1960s through first wave feminism that began to erode the nuclear family. And it was purposeful. We did talk about that. Yeah. But the but what's what's really shocking about it is you know, a lot of people standing on the outside and only leading, reading partial statistics are going to tell you, well, they're after masculinity, which is actually not the only problem. They're after and want to destroy motherhood. They want to destroy the role of the wife, the traditional role in the home. They want to destroy individuality. Yeah, but 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 taking particular aim at the pillars of individuality, right? Now, and let me preface it with this. My wife works full-time. I have no problem with that. 
my wife is 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 a very responsible human being and and one of the strongest people I know. Um, but she never lets that interfere with her role as a mother and a wife. And and I have great admiration for that. So I don't I'm not I do not live in what would be considered a traditional role household, right? Yeah. You your your wife does not work. I have I tremendous respect for you because you guys make that work and you and you're okay and and you guys agree and that's that's a beautiful thing, right? Like when you have that agreement and you have that synergy in your home and you're making these things happen. But they are just full on trying to destroy what actual feminism is. Anything feminine is seen as weak, being a mother, being a wife, being emotional, being <laughs> being loving being all those things are seen as being weak through through the scope of feminism um you know one of the quotes that i read which which really got me was uh uh gloria steinem i think was a she was big in the in the feminist movement and she said marriage is the union of one and a half people because it it literally it, it turns a woman into an indentured slave what a terribly naive naive and ignorant yes and utterly wrong f- wrong factually wrong morally <laughs> thing to say well i saw a great instagram post about this yeah it was like so you're saying it's okay to like slave for an employee an employer yeah and then not have somebody else raise your kids that's cool yeah but it's not okay to like serve your family and raise your own kids yeah that doesn't make any sense whatsoever absolutely I mean, that's exactly what because i mean look the the reality is is that there's a very very small percentage of highly motivated and and competitive people that will ever reach a c-level position yeah you're most likely going to be a peon yeah <laughs> working for somebody giving up a lot of your time and matter of fact there's data that shows that the more wealthy the country is the more there the more single households you have the more uh the less there is the less importance on marriage the less because it's all about (laughs) your work man actually that's one of the things i read here but yeah it's crazy dude well and one of the things that gets me and this is something that you know all right so when a movement begins, whether it's a social movement, whether it's a spiritual movement, usually that movement dies or lives upon its own volition, right? Like how much momentum it can gain, right? But what's so shocking about feminism in this in the, the terms of what we're talking about is it's died several deaths, right? Um, for example, first wave feminism attached itself to civil rights because it wasn't strong enough to stand on its own. So it attempted to attach itself to the civil rights movement, right? Um, by using, by, by claiming that, you know, equal rights for blacks, everything like that was supposed to be right, which I agree with, but then it said, Oh, well, we think that it's civil rights for a woman not to live in a sexist household. Right. And then, so that didn't work. It literally died. Well, then second wave or what they call Wall Street feminism came, which was in the early 80s and the 90s, right? Where it was, we want the jobs, we want the wage, but we don't want to change our options. 
right? Like we want to be a mom. We want to be a wife, but we also want to be a CEO and make a billion dollars a year and boss everybody around. But we don't want to do the jobs that are necessary to have those roles, right? Um, going back to the, that's when you first started hearing about gender pay gap and all that garbage. But, um, and then we go into what's called third wave feminism, which is literally just an all out assault on anything that has to do with the nuclear family, whether it's masculinity, whether it's real actual femininity, right? Like what, what an actual feminine woman is, is not welcome in third wave feminism, not at all. So how many times does a cause have to die because it's not strong enough to stand on its own two feet in order to, for people to actually see, it's kind of like, it's kind of like um, socialism. A hundred percent of the time it's failed. Well, 100% of the time, any push for feminism and the destruction of the nuclear family has failed because eventually people see the flaw, right? So, you know, one of the things that, you know, that they do is they try to adopt other causes, right, in order to make their cause stronger, which, but I will say this, the current wave of attack on the nuclear family has been much more effective, but I think that also is because of the onset of things like social media and well, and okay, so let's let's. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, man, this is the no. Nah, well, I'm I'm about to really be a kook, but dude, do it. I, I dig kooky. All of this has been effective in recent times because of the infiltration of Marxism in our educational institutions. 100% agree. So, because, and it is indoctrination in our, in our schools. And that, that has been, we have allowed that to happen through since the 60s. That yes. has been a, a, a continuing, just, if you go to any major university, there is, you will not find really anybody who is, especially outwardly against Marxism. Most of them are, if there are, they're closet and they won't say it. Yeah. But, that most of them are outright Marxists and they're for a socialistic principles and all that kind of stuff. So they're all their teachings are rooted in there and they're conditioning the kids <laughs> to be just like that. Yeah. And you got, I mean, the kids are in school so long, unless you have parents who, or whoever that is like constantly, taking that away and re rebuking that from the school there's the kids are going to grow up and that's what they're going to think is the right way to go yeah and it's going to fail but that marxist ideology is is inf infiltrated the nuclear family but uh and those though that's just one avenue of that attack mm -hmm. um and it goes in what the clearest one, the absolute clearest one is BLM, who um, the the leaders of that. I, I'm not going to say their name, but they they totally had had publicly proclaimed themselves as Marxist and all that stuff. Yeah. And then what they say was on their mission statement before it got taken down. Yep. I found it. 
Yes, sir. I found it. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement. <laughs> Look, that is an awful thing to say, for one. Yeah. Um, if you're totally for family structures of all kinds of things, why is that one the one you yeah. point out to disrupt? Yeah. Because that's the most secure, the most uh, viable, the, the, <laughs> the all that kind of – that's why you say that, because you're a Marxist. You know, and um, what, Ingalls, who's a very much a Marxist person um, – what would this new social arrangement look like? This is Engel. He says, the care and education of children becomes a public matter. Society cares equally well for all children, legal or illegal. This removes the care about the consequences, which now forms the essential social factor, moral and economic, hindering a girl to surrender unconditionally to the beloved man. That's the Marxist ideology, right, at its core. Taking everything, it's not individually. Your parents, you don't have take away the parents' right yeah. to be a parents. Yeah, take away all that kind of stuff. Let it be the role of the state to take care of your children, to take care of all, everything. Individualism is gone. There is no, there's no. Th this should be a a blatant sign of <laughs> idi idiocy and civilization collapse should come shortly after this. Yes. Yes. Well, and think about this too. And I want to give a shout out. Uh, I just watched, um, the biggest lie ever sold, Candace Owens. Um, and you know, one of the things I love is when when a group that's trying to to tear something down tries to tell you that because they want to tear it down, they're going to build something else up, right? Which is a lie. Most most groups, most Marxist or socialist groups who want to destroy something only intend to destroy. There's no there's no intent to rebuild. Right. Um, and, and there's living examples of that. Let's take a look at them. China. North Korea. Right now, Venezuela is smoking and smoldering from the fire. Right. Like there's no there's no example you can give me in history of, of Marxism or socialism ever working. Right. Um. But take BLM for 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 that matter. Um, you would think that if you had someone who was a high supporter of BLM and was putting their putting their mark on it and trying to go rally for that cause, that there would be people within that structure within that group that would want to take care of that person. If you go back and look at all of those people that went out in the streets and burnt down buildings and blasted out windows, killed people, killed people. Most of them are living in poverty because once COVID shut down and BLM faded, all of that billions of dollars that BLM collected are in the pockets of about a dozen people. Well, that's, that's the thing. There are, there are many reports. Now it's hard to find that. This is what I hate about technology right now is because you have these technology companies that are giants in the, in, in our world that, um, control kind of what you see because you <laughs> we could go into that too but th th as far as that goes there were legitimate investigative reports that were absolutely had hardcore data behind it that said these 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 people 
that's who got all the money and none of the communities did. Yep. George Floyd's family didn't get anything. Yeah. Okay, so let's 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 just put that out there. There's no evidence to say that BLM wasn't a corrupt organization out for a legitimate profit and for a reason of greed, not for anything else but that. But there's evidence that shows that that's absolutely what they were out there. Exactly. For, right. Like, and and here's that here's that thing too, where you know, and I say this all the time, and people are probably really tired, but it's this feelings versus facts things, right? Um, one of the things I would encourage anybody and, and I if I'm wrong or if I put something out there and you can prove that I'm wrong, please, please go to R&B talks on Facebook, post it. Let's take a look at it. I'm open minded. I can be wrong just like anybody else. But but let's be truthful about the situation. The money that was collected was to pay sex workers to pay. There is not a single family that you're going to point out to me that at the end of the day that BLM supported or helped, but there are plenty that it helped destroy. Yeah. And, and this is what I'm talking about. And, and this is how, this is how wide the breadth is, man. And this is how serious this is to me. And, and, and I don't mind saying as I was doing my research, I, it was heartbreaking to see some of the things that were going on. When I say the nuclear family is under assault, it's from all sides. It's not, just feminists it's not just blm it's not just marxism it's not just socialism it's it's not just you know you know uh, uh misinformation about masculinity all the things misinformation about femininity i mean it's all of it and it's all going on at the same time and what they want to do is overwhelm you they want to they want to heighten your emotions mm -hmm. so that you lose your ability to think and to discern what is actual fact versus what is actual feeling. And, and that is where, you know, I, I, when I talk to people who, who are talking to me about these things, I'm so quick to tell them when you go Google nuclear family or whatever question you have about the nuclear family, dismiss the first three articles because they're going to be, garbage feeling articles dig deep and read all the way through and weigh what you see because what you and i are talking about right now are things that we have data-backed research for right we're not in here boohooing over our feelings no um do we have feelings about it sure i'm here if, if i wouldn't be human if i didn't but none of my feelings are based on ooh, that seems tragic well look man you know, there's there's I have compassion for other kids, yeah. other families that are going through stuff and everything else. But what that that compassion drives the effort to find out real solutions. Yeah. Not just what satisfies my feeling. Cuz that doesn't resolve anything. So, yeah, maybe my my passion towards being compassionate mm -hmm. fuels my <laughs> solution minded approach yeah so when i look at something like and i see my own family like it's hard it is hard to be a nuclear family right now it absolutely is without a doubt okay like a because people it's it's not and okay let me say this it's it's hard when you're in those circles where the uh 
woke stuff is yeah. prevalent and most. So thankfully we're not in that kind of thing. We, we don't really, we don't really live our lives on social media. We don't do Instagram, TikTok nonsense and tweets. And we don't, yeah. I mean, we don't do that. I mean, no. it's, we live our life here. We, we homeschool our girls. We, you know, we try to, live our lives as responsible and connected as we can, but I'm not deliberately not connecting to those things that are going to adversely affect my peace. I would say that, but I'm going to combat those that have that opinion. One of the things that I always thought about was not only a nuclear family, but I really thought I, I was thinking about this. This is a long time ago having multi-generational households and how that is not a thing anymore and, yeah. you know, how that actually is a good thing. And, and that my ideas about that have changed over the years since yeah. I was, when I was younger, I really didn't, you know, I was just thinking about how, where I can go, where I can be successful, where I can make the most money, meet the most girls, all that kind of stuff when I was younger. But now that I'm like established and I'm like, oh, I, I really think about, I, I would like there to be more multi-generational households. Like, and then when I had my dad move in with us before he died, that was the coolest thing. It was, dude, let me get, let me, let me just say this. That was <laughs> the, one of the hardest things we've done. Cause you know, an elderly person is like a child only that they got a louder mouth <laughs> and much more opinionated. Right. And it's hard, dude. Yeah. But I, I think even my wife, my wife will tell you it was, it was awesome having my dad live with us while he could. Um, and, and it, it was so cool to have my dad's influence with my kids too. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, having grandpa right there and, you know, they got to watch my, my little girl, my littlest would go in there and watch monster movies with my dad. Yeah. I mean, come on, man. That's, that's freaking cool. Like, yeah. you know, um, I got to go in there and share what I was doing in school because, and we talk about, you know, biblical principles and theology and all this kind of stuff. It was, it was re really awesome. And it's a shame my dad was too damn stubborn to take care of himself, but I digress. When I, when I was researching this, I, I, I didn't know I had that in my mind, but as soon as I started reading, the nuclear family was a mistake by David Brooks in the Atlantic. I thought, okay, I got to read this now. I got to. Oh. So, and I'll summarize. I, I have some quotes here that are important, but but really, what he's saying is like he calls like the forged family as like the way to go. And really, what he's talking about is the you need more than just your nuclear family to like raise your kids. You need more. You know, you need these like communities and stuff. And that even without the nuclear family, there's like places that can be a family that can substitute for that, and you know these kind of things. And but he points to that as the nuclear family being a cause of it. Like, because we had such a focus on the nuclear family that led to this growth of this fuel forged family idea that should be implemented instead of the nuclear family. What he, d and I, I don't agree with that. And there's other rebuttals to that too. But one, one thing I'll, um, he does some really great job of like summarizing some of the like ways the family has changed over the years. He said, um, We've made life freer for the individuals and more unstable for families. We've made life better for adults, but worse for children. 
We've moved from big, interconnected, and extended families, which help protect the most vulnerable people in society from the shocks of life, to smaller, detached nuclear families, a married couple and their children, which give the most privileged people in society room to maximize their talents and expand their options. The shift from bigger and interconnected extended families to smaller and detached nuclear families ultimately led to a familia, familial system that liberates the rich and ravages the working class and the poor. And look, this I don't disagree that we've moved away from like being close to your family yeah. as a culture. I think that's a that's wrong. Um, there's a reason why me and my wife still live here. We we didn't move away. You know, we we intentionally live here close to our family. Um, and and so we're kind of opposite of what he's talking about here. But most most of the families nowadays don't do that. They're going to go where the money is. Yeah. Right. So that's one point he was talking about. Yeah. Well, I agree, and and that's one of the reasons why Julie and I and the boys wound up here, because we we lived originally in a, in a bigger city. We were isolated; it was just us. But because we we loved and respected our family, we felt that absence, right? So we moved here, where my wife's extended family was, and you know, honestly, you know, one of the things that I've learned over life is. Family's not always blood, right? Like no. one of the reasons I looked forward to moving here was because of you, because we're friends. And I didn't like the fact that it was hard for us to connect. And being here has has given me bonds with people that I didn't have where I was, right? And I think that's true. I think, you know, but I also think a lot of it has come, you know, <laughs> With the with the need not to the need to ignore wisdom would be the best way to say it, right? One of the things I love about talking with my wife's family, her father and mother, is the wisdom that I get from those conversations. I revere and respect them very much, you know, and their their want to pass on these wisdoms and these things that are that help them through their married life, that help them through their everyday life. Those wisdoms are valuable to me, right? But they are just not valuable in this generation because this generation, this generation just runs from wisdom. Like these, these yeah. newer generations are, it's, it's all about wisdom to them is whatever pops up on their phone. To me, that is, that is just a broken thing, right? Like, like, you know, and don't get me wrong. Social media has, pluses right you can stay connected with family that live far away you can keep up with each other there are pros to those things but our current generation looks at a tiktok video and thinks that they are getting some kind of wise counsel and, and to me that is the antithesis of yeah. respecting wisdom and generational wisdom right which is why we love family i mean your dad being here i know as much as anything he, he could share his wisdom of the way he lived and his mistakes and his past. That's part of it. Right. But we've, we've disavowed gener generational wisdom and, and, and decided that it doesn't carry that much importance. Um, which I think is probably another direct cause of the breakdown. Right. I mean, we're, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, a lot of good marriages survive is because they, they, 
sit under the tree of knowledge that is provided by mothers and fathers and grandparents and 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 it it may not solve your problem but it gives you applicable ways to approach it right so yeah i agree totally with what you're saying man that's 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 a hundred percent yeah that's right on target okay the let's let me let me share another some some stuff he talks about because i think this is really important <laughs> to our discussion he goes on to say this is david brooks mm -hmm. over the past two generations people have spent less and less time in marriage there are they are marrying later, if at all, and divorcing more. Mm -hmm. In 1950, 27% of marriages ended in divorce. Today, about 47% do. Mm. In 1960, 72% of American adults were married. In 2017, nearly half of American adults were single. Mm -hmm. According to a 2014 report from the Urban Institute, roughly 90% of baby boomer women and 80% of Gen X women married by age 40 while only about 70% of late millennial women were expected to do so, the lowest rate in U.S. history. So the push to be more career-minded, more successful, is taking away the importance of a family, of getting married, of doing that kind of stuff, right? Yep. And that's really what he's pointing out here. And, and I, I mean, that's... That goes along with what you're talking about with the feminist movement too, and we did in our in our episode where we talked about the um, what it means to be a wife. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of lot of discussion there that we had about how you know that is that does impact the kids, that does impact your birth rates, it does impact family. Um, situations anxiety and you know adhds and all this kind of stuff right mm -hmm. over the past two generations families have also gotten a lot smaller the general american birth rate is half of what it was in 1960 in 2012 most american family households had no children there are more american homes with pets than with kids in 1970 about 20 percent of households had five or more people as of 2012 only 9.6 percent did oh i mean look this is data right i mean yeah but now he does go on to talk about how in night like in 1970 the family structures of the rich and poor did not differ that greatly okay this is in the 70s now there is a chasm between them as of 2005 85 percent of children born in upper middle class families were living with both biological parents when the mom was 40, among working class families, only 30% were. According to a 2012 report from the National Center for Health Statistics, college educate, educated women ages 22 to 44 have a 78% chance of having their first marriage last at least 20 years. Women in the same age range with a high school degree or less have only about a 40% chance. Among Americans ages 18 to 55, only 26% of the poor and 39% of the working class are currently married. So there is, there is statistical stuff that says the difference between like the upper echelon and the, the working class be, and I think this goes back to like you, you have a way and he does explain it in here. Um, in the article, like 
he he talks about this forged family with having all these you know the, the instead of the extended family you're pulling in all these people to kind of raise your kids in a community kind of thing when you're when it's the wealth when you're wealthier you can supplant that with you're paying therapists and you know uh, tutors and whatever right you're you're just you're just buying it in other words mm-hmm. and being able to supplant that and it, it actually enables those kind of things where the working uh, uh, a less income family can't do that and so that leads to what he's talking about here but at the end of it though he says Americans are hungering to live in extended and forced families in ways that are new and ancient at the same time so I actually agree with most of the points he makes, right? That, that these extended families are, are important. Yeah. And it does, you, you, you know, like when, when you have like, uh, just a, a mother, father, kids, something happens to the father where, you know, income maybe be impacted or something. Okay. Then you, you do, you don't, there's no fallback there. You know, if the, whatever it is, <laughs> when you have these extended families and stuff, there's a buffer. Because you have more people that can contribute and take up the this yeah. and this, so I agree to that. But I don't, I don't, I don't agree to his assessment that the nuclear family is the mistake. I think the nuclear family still has to be the core of a multi generational household, or the core of a forged family, as well, he called it. I think it would. I think the, a good way to say it would be as a m- husband, wife, mother, father. Our responsibility should be to use adapt and gather generational wisdom in order to help the health of our nuclear family and the health of our extended family. That would be a great way of doing it. I, 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 I'm kind of like you saying that the nuclear family is the fault. is kind of like, it's kind of like poisoning yourself in the sense that, I mean, you can't have the forged family without the nuclear family. If there was no nuclear family, there wouldn't be any forged family, right? So saying the fault of one is the is the cause of the other is it's kind of like shooting yourself in the foot. I mean, I don't really. Well, okay, you can. I guess what I would say is think about like, um, and he points out a couple like more like homes for the innocent kind of thing, where it's like. Yeah, or or um, inmate um, recuperation houses and stuff like where, like halfway houses and things like yeah, that. Yeah, you know okay. where where you you forge these families inside that you're not really related to, but they're your family now, and they kind of take those places. Yeah, and they have some success, but there's other stuff that say that that's not there's not really all that you know there's a difference there, and and one of the thing I'll, I'll post this article too down in the um. Brad Wilcox and Hal Boyd, they wrote this called The Nuclear Family is Still Indispensable. And one of the, one of the things that they say, you know, extended kin can and sometimes must play a greater role in meeting children's needs. But as any parent knows, when it comes to an inconsolable child, even a dozen pairs of arms from the village don't quite compare to the warm and safe embrace of mom or dad. And that's, dude, I can completely tell you that 1,000%. When my daughter is having a night terror, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter who she's looking for daddy. Yeah. 
you're not going to replace daddy. Yeah. You know, you can do, you can try to do all you want. That's who she's looking for. When my, when one of my daughters are sick, they're looking for mama. I don't care how much I do. They're looking for mama. Right. So yeah, you can, you can displace that a little bit, but there, there is a, if we think about young kids, and I think that that's an important distinction here between adult children versus, you know, younger children versus teenagers. They all have different levels of need there, but you know, when the impact of a family is most effective in those early years, you know, up through the teenage, because teenage years are tough anyway. But so, you know, when I know when, when my son was like in his, you know, in, in high school and stuff, man, there's a lot of times he, he needed to hear from his dad. Yeah. Wasn't mama. And it wasn't like his grand, his grandpa was going to tell him stuff, but he needed to hear from his dad. Yes. You know, agreed. So, so there, there are, and that's what he, they do point that out. Um, and and he, they do actually say that the nuclear family is recovering. In yeah. fact, there's there's statistics show that. Well, one of the things I would tell you too is you kind of shined a spotlight right there on why the nuclear family is important, in the sense that mom and dad have specific roles and things that you know they're built to handle, things that they're yeah. they're going to be able to take care of as individuals that are going to contribute to the family as a whole. Um, I think one of the reasons why people attack the nuclear family is they see it as a form of control. Well, I can, I can say with all honesty and, and with all, and with all respect to anyone who I'm talking to, I, I have no desire to have bodily, emotional or spiritual autonomy over anybody in my house. I very much yeah. desire to be an influence and help them grow and develop into the best version of themselves. But, you know, one of the big problems I see and, and when I hear people talk about the nuclear family and talk about how the nuclear family works is a lot of it is spoken about as if it's some kind of indentured servitude. Well, you're locking them down. You're 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 framing them in and not giving them the freedom to be themselves. Let me tell you something, man. You've met my wife. Uh, she is her own person. She is no a doubt. strong individual no doubt. who who understands that they're that the dynamic is is such that that she can be that she can have her own existence. I've met your wife. She's a she's just an absolute great personality and and very very strong and and all that she's been through and all to get to this point much respect to her yeah. on every level, right? So I think that this this a lot of the common and I think it kind of, kind of glimmers in what you just read is is this this look at the the nuclear family as as shackles, right? I don't think that that's you know. Well, but okay, let's look at more statistics. Okay, this is this because this will this will echo right into all this stuff. Brooks noted that nuclear family headed by married parents remains a personal ideal, even among men and women who harbor no moral objections to alternative family structures. So it's the nuclear family is still like an ideal. That's being okay. Now, according to Wendy Wang, who's a sociologist, 65% of multi-generational families, 
Okay, like he's talking about what what Brooks was talking about with the forged multi general families that include a single parent. So sixty five percent of those include a single parent, not a mother and father. But research reveals mixed outcomes of those for each household, right? Yeah. So okay, so yeah, there's but there's it's that's not saying they can take the place of those extended families can really take the place of the mom and dad. Further, Sarah Mc. Clannon of Princeton University and Gary Sanderford at the University of Wisconsin. They found average child raised by a mother and grandmother is doing about the same as the average child raised by a single mother. And on outcomes such as dropping out of high school or having teen birth. So, okay, dropping out of high school, teen birth. Well, if you're raised by a mother and grandmother, you're probably, you know, it's likely the same as if you're raised by the, okay, the absence of both parents, children raised by their extended kin, such as and aunt or uncle are significantly more likely to have, in the words of one study, higher levels of internalizing problems, including loneliness or sadness. That would be me. Yeah. Right. So you have, I mean, but this one, this is, this is what I think is important when you look at this stuff is like, okay, multi generational forged families. Okay. Great. But they all have a core, like the, okay, let's say this the ideal is still to have a nuclear family in the middle. Yeah. Everything around them, right? So, so that's what the that's, that's what statistics tell us. The work of a Harvard sociologist, Robert Sampson, tells us that neighborhoods with many two parent families are much safer. In their own words, family structure is one of the strongest, if not the strongest, predictor of variations in urban violence across cities in the United States. Okay, so. <laughs> As I as I read in the yeah so so just just to that's what I'm saying just to echo that you know a sociologist agrees with the criminal statistics that look if you have a a a neighborhood that has more two family uh, two parent families in it it's safer yeah yeah okay so so I guess what 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 all what everything I read though. And the rebuttals and like how, you know, we want to be free and let people love who they want to love and all this kind of stuff. Okay. But the data doesn't suggest that that's ideal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, Uh, (laughs) well, I mean, and, and look again, I am not casting judgment on any particular situation. I don't find that necessary. What I'm, what I'm saying is, is, you know, and now I'm going to speak as a man of faith and, and I'm going to say what I need to say. There was a plan for us, right? When we were brought here, there was a plan for us. Sure. Um, and all, and, 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 and this is even more provability about what I believe. The, the very prevalent statistics that show that not being within that plan causes more harm than good only solidifies that the plan was proper, right? There's a man, there's a woman. Married, have children, raise families, start generation after generation, right? Um, and when we get into situations where we begin to deviate, we begin to have problems, right? Um, you know, Christ told us marriage is a man and a woman, to to go forth and be fruitful and 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 what's happened i believe is what we are we're humans so we we 
we want what we want when we want it and we want to be in control. What what's happened is we've deviated really, really far off of the path. And what you're seeing is statistical provable data that it don't work when it's not the plan. Right. Like, like, you know, can't play football with a baseball. Right. What, like it's just, but you know, let, let me get back to this though. You're right. And, and I mean, by the, the biblically speaking, theologically speaking, the, that that's proven to be accurate and that that's the way it's, sh- it's supposed to be. Yeah. Even Jordan Peterson says the smallest viable family unit is a, is the mother, father, nuclear family. Absolutely. Um, but it, what <laughs> I, I really want to know. Like, is there statistically any difference that we can see in, in today what the child's outcome is when they're raised by two women versus two men versus a male and female? And I think what's happened is that all these, all the, the, the secular psychological and sociological studies just assume that's not, there's not a difference. So they don't put that into the equation okay and i don't think you can do that i think we really like anything else let's can we just get some data to say that it's not any different that's that's all i that's all i really want right yeah um because i think it's important i mean look we're talking about kids kids are precious that i guess for me the whole nuclear family idea is critical because kids are critical our children are so critical and that's why it's important to really you know perpetuate or encourage the correct family structures put put you know have your systems in place that that don't encourage individuality like individuals being individuals forever yeah if that's truly going to raise better humans then the nuclear family should be what is so lifted up that is companies are seeking to do because I mean, here's the here's the here's the real key to it and i don't have data to back this up but when my family is doing better like when my family's okay i'm better at my work i'm more mm-hmm. productive at my work i'm gonna make more money for the company absolutely that's that's the key to this right i mean they push a lot of these things now too with your mental health and all that kind of stuff but if you're it needs to be more of like your and, and you know some companies do better at this. No, I, don't, I won't say that. I mean, my company doesn't isn't like terrible at it. You know, because they do like if I have something going on in my family, they they understand and they're like, yeah, go take care of it because they know. But I mean, that's we need to know statistically how and what configuration of families, regardless of what they are, how they turn out, and that that the data is there. I just I just think people aren't. They're just assuming they're they're making way too many assumptions well i think again i think again it's the i I feel like this should be right so i want it to be right i mean that's what i mean science doesn't do that science science shouldn't do that science should never do that no should because because i feel like i want this to happen that does not equate to good science no no you don't whatever you're feeling let's qualify that with the scientific method well and i think we also need to go back to something that you've talked about several times before in our episodes and and something that i've really you know adopted and tried to live by is 
I like independent studies. I don't want something. I don't want to study on uh, single parent homes done by the single parents are best foundation. Yeah, right. Because yeah. it's slanted. Give me something. Give me empirical data through, you know, non-prejudiced study. Right. Let me know that you're from a you're you're studying from the center out. You're not trying to go to the one side or the other, right? Because that's where I think a lot of the misinformation comes in. And really honestly, you know, I, I don't know if you know anything about Jubilee when they have the debates, Jubilee debates. Um you can watch them on YouTube. They're very interesting to watch. Um but I feel like, you know, when I I watch a lot of those debates, a lot of the facts or believed facts that quote unquote leftists and transgender come with are misinformed talking points that have been adopted as reality. Yeah. Um, you know, when one is debating, you know, and, and I, and we've mentioned him all the time, but I'll mention him again. If you know, Jordan Peterson said a long time ago, your words count, right? Um, your words count. So don't talk without knowing there's truth in your words. Yeah. And, you know, look, I, I get it. You, you vehemently want something to be true. But wanting something to be true and it actually being true are completely different things, right? Yes. And, and, and you have to be okay with that fact, right? You can't be misled by your feelings. Okay, but here, here, here's a key thing to what you just said. Mm -hmm. I want to see the data like you're talking about because if, let's say it reveals that a two men raising a child equates to a better outcome of that kid. Okay, then I want to know how I can, in, like how I can work a solution for that in a male and female Role, yeah, right. If if there's uh, the male and female works best for the child into wh whatever metrics you're going to use, okay, then wouldn't wouldn't a gay couple want to know that so they can say, okay, if that's true, then how can I more you know is that whatever influence that is or whatever? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you you wouldn't you would want to know that for your kids, yeah, right? Uh, if you're a lesbian couple, how can I get more male influence? Well, whatever, if you're a gay couple, yeah. how can I get more female influence? Well, how, that's what I'm saying. Like you you. I'm not saying whatever one is good or bad. I'm saying that we want to know which one's good or bad so that we can help those yeah. other situations, right? Yeah. You know, and it, that that seems like to me to be just, why would <laughs> Just common sense. Yeah. I mean, right? come on. Again, our kids are important. Uh, I, 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 I don't know. I, I just think that for me, you know, we are old school, man. We're, we're so like 1950s here, but. Well, you know what, though? I don't honestly, man. OK, so I'm going to say this. I don't think we are. And here's no. why I say that it's the principles that we live by have have no age limit. No, right? I agree. So, agree. So and, and again, backed by empirical data, the principles that we live by are proven principles. Right. Um, they don't stop doing studies because they want to continually gain knowledge in accordance with the with the with the. I guess you'd call it the the development of our society. And yet every study says the same thing. So no, I, I think that 
I think that we literally live in live in this proven now now and I also don't want to dismiss are there bad situations? Absolutely there are. Are there you know toxic people and bad things that happen and you know people who are mean and you know are there bad experiences i don't dismiss any of that i in my own family i can i can give you 10 examples in my own family but at the end of the day the dynamic doesn't change yeah right whether it's 1950 or 2023 the dynamic is the same nuclear family is the best way to do it and you can you can argue that fact all day long. We can sit down, but when we get when we sat down and we looked at the data, and we looked at everything that folds into it, uh, even societal changes, you know, time changes, all those things. Even with our digital age, the nuclear family works best. Well, I mean, look, we're we're not sociologists, we're not psychologists, any of that stuff, really. But that's what I'm saying. Anybody could look at what we're doing. And that's the point of this. Any any average person could go look and find all this information. And it's there. It's not like it's hidden. Mm-hmm. Now, again, we talked about stuff that is, but, you know, we can at least get a grasp on what why it's important and what it, why it needs to be a pillar of society. Absolutely. You know, but and there's a lot of parts to it. But, yeah, it's. It's just critically important. Hopefully, we cleared some of the mud off the windshield with this one. You know what I mean? No, I think we did. Yeah, I think we covered it. But yeah. you know, I, I I think for all for all those that are Christ follower people, mm-hmm. you know, that's not there is no debate. It's yeah. like it's really clear. You know, it spells it out from Genesis all the way through Revelation about what family is supposed to be, um, and and that's echoed time and time again throughout history that it it actually comes across with civilizations rise and fall and how the family structure has either brought civilization up or tore it down depending yeah. on how it was portrayed. And even that goes into fatherhood and the husband roles and the motherhood and the wives and, 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 you know, when, when civilization screws those up, the culture screws those up, mm-hmm. they don't last long. Yeah. And that's really, that's really what history tells us. Yeah. I agree. Before we wrap up, man, we need to tell them R and B Talks Facebook page is live. Well, I've been so I, so I have been putting all the yeah, links below yeah. our videos yeah. now, so they're all there in, in on the podcast. It's in the description, so everybody should be able to should be able to interact with us. Uh, and I, I would love to hear from you guys. I really would. I'd love to hear from your. You know, what do you think of the episodes? What do you? What would you like to hear from us? Yeah, exactly. You have, what you would have you topic want, suggestions? Give us some something. great topic suggestions. Give us your opinion on the episodes. And again, as I said, if you have something you feel like you can put up there that's that's a that goes against what we say, and you have what you feel like is empirical evidence, I would love to see it. I would love to discuss it. I would love for you to to reach out to us. And if anything, I'd love again, you know, open dialogue. Let's 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 start looking at it and coming to the conclusions that need to be came to and and you know most of all i just appreciate any input you guys put in because we do this for us but we're also doing it for you because we want you guys to to hear a different way of looking at things than current society's putting out there so r&b talks facebook go see it man like subscribe or dislike for that matter comment yeah exactly all right later later 